put you on hold. We're starting Love out now. Radio. Okay. This is our common ground. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man mean you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. We are at a critical moment in our nation's history. And the fact that Senator Bernie Sanders is answering the call to stand up for working class folks and middle class folks in this country to say enough is enough is enough is enough.
This is your moment to start something better. Well, it was his heart-soul agreement. It was pretty hard. Once I listened, really peeled back the layers and listened to his message and kind of juxtapositioned his message with my own personal life story, you know, growing up in a single mother household, the oldest of seven children, a first-generation college graduate, I had a chance to talk to the senator, and it just really convicted me to think about how he wants to lift everybody in this country. You know, my mother died at the age of 42 years old. She had an aneurysm burst in her brain, and she died with her dreams deferred, very much deferred, on the system of welfare, no money in the bank, no life insurance policy. And so she never lived to see me graduate from college or be elected to any office. And so her her story, my story, my life story, it just convicted me once I heard the senator talk about wanting to lift people, increasing the minimum wage, a tuition-free college for every child in this great country, expanding uh, Social Security, voting rights, you know, the demilitarization of, of, of police, all of those things spoke to me. And so I knew I had no other choice but to endorse Senator Sanders, and I have been on this mission with him ever since. Lining current there that the African American community will just walk in lockstep, and it is a it is a a burden that no other ethnic group is carrying, and that's why I said if we really think about that, that African Americans have to carry that burden of being somebody's firewall. What sense does that make? Elected officials are obligated every election year, in my opinion, to earn the votes of the people who they want to vote for them, and that includes the African American community. That poverty really is, is, is a hard, uh, hard road to toll. And Senator Sanders talks about that all the time, that being poor is expensive. And it is. It's, 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 it's stressful. It's spiritually expensive. It's economically expensive. And so what people are looking for, I think, Tom, whether they're white or black or Hispanic or somewhere in between, is a champion, somebody who's going to stand up for them, somebody who's not going to be afraid to take it to the status quo, somebody who is not afraid to say enough is enough, as Senator Sanders has said, somebody who will say that people should not have to work 40 hours a week and still be it in poverty, somebody who will say that universal health care is a right in this country, that we can do it, that we have the resources to do it? Why is it that we can bail out Wall Street, but we can't dare to dream that we can bail out Main Street? Enough is enough is enough. We're so pleased to be able to have joining us on our common ground once again, the national spokesperson with the Bernie Sanders for President campaign, a former Ohio State Senator and our friend. She is my sister in the bones and friend. In conversation with Nina Turner. Stay tuned. Our Common Ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, and Janice Graham. And we welcome you to Our Common Ground, and we are so very pleased to have you with us tonight. Tonight, you better strap up, Democrats and GOP followers, because we have our sister, Nina Turner, Joining us tonight, she has always wanted and has achieved the voice for the less fortunate throughout her career in public service. She is the national spokesperson 
for the Bernie Sanders Feel the Burn movement. Nina Turner, my sister of the Three Bones, welcome back. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, Sister J. Thank you so much for having me back. My God, what an intro. I'm listening and saying, who is that woman saying all of that stuff? You know you put that together. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 my honor uh, to be your friend and to be able to, to talk with you. I think that you have elevated the voice of intelligence in electoral politics, and I may not see it in my lifetime, but I'm, I got my eye on you. <laughs> you know it. Um, well, thank you. Know, you. I've, got a, I've got a lot of questions to you, but I do want to say to you before we start talking about feeling the burn that, as always, I am so impressed by your ability to articulate it from the bottom, to get to the foundation of the the issues that are important to people. You know my, my principle is if we're not talking about where people eat, where people live, and yeah. how our children are educated, we're not talking about much. Yeah. And then, you know, and I'm just – um so so uh proud and grateful for your voice in all this madness it is to- total madness going on so i've got a, a a lot of questions for you but i i want you to let's start off by giving us a a brief summary of we know why you are feeling the burn Mm-hmm. But what are those issues that's driving that feeling? According to exit poll results in states with large black Democratic Party uh, voting numbers, South Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, and throughout the South, uh, Senator Sanders has not been able to really even capture a st- statistically significant number of the black Democratic vote. And I want you to tell us why and why we need to strap up. Well, and, and thanks thanks for that, uh, Sister Graham. I, You know, look, Senator Sanders is a senator from Vermont, you know, and he hasn't been running for president for the last eight years. He stepped into this arena about ten months ago in Vermont where he, at the time, was only 3% in the polls. Uh, we look at what has happened from that time to now, you know, Scripture says call those things that are not as though they were. Uh, Senator Sanders got into this race because he believes that it is time for America to answer the cries and the call of his working class and, and barely middle class people in this country. And so as he is introducing himself, not just to African Americans, but to a lot of folks across this country, you know, that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. In terms of our community, the African American community, I remain solid in my conviction that we are not homogeneous. And I know that Secretary Clinton won the South. Let us not forget that she was First Lady of Arkansas, her husband governor, and that the Clintons, you know, have long history. We need to be reminded of that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, we Mm -hmm. do. So, you know, the senator has never, he's not now, and he never has uh, taken any vote for granted. He's been working hard to, to earn, you know, every single vote that he has. 
And we see that as we have moved out of the South, the Senator Sanders has been able to earn more of the black vote. In Michigan, it was uh, about 31%. In Ohio, we almost got to 30%. So as he goes around the country, you know, I was with him in Birmingham, Alabama, on Martin Luther King Day as we went to the 16th Street Baptist Church and we went to the memorial, the museum memorial about civil rights. You know, I was with him in Baltimore with, uh, I call him the Honorable, but the Reverend uh, Dr. Pastor Jamal Bryant, you know, who had invited other men and women of the cloth from all over the country to join Senator Sanders to have a discussion, not just about Black Lives Mattering, but or, or Black Lives, not just that Black Lives Matter, but Black Prosperity Matters, Black Education Matters, Black Quality of Life Matters. So he has been putting in the work and the time to try to not only introduce himself, but also to earn the African-American vote. He is not taking anybody's vote for granted, Sister Jay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I have observed, and you know I live in Massachusetts, and um, I, I spend a um, considerable amount of time in the state of Vermont and around the issues mm-hmm. of the state of Vermont. Uh, so I understand exactly uh, what has been the impediment uh, around him um, having to develop his literacy um, on the details of the issues. But many commentators in the black community have stated that perhaps um, Senator Sanders' class-based politics might minimize the role in the minds and in the hearts minimizing the role of racism in affecting the lives of black people and that the economic remedies that he proposes do not alleviate racism and white supremacy. And that is one of the reasons why people are raising this issue about why should black people support a candidate that many feel do not understand the core of their conditions. Now, what you've stated is that he does to that extent, but the articulation is perhaps not as amplified as it must be in order for him to secure black support. Because my position is, and 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 it, it is that if we look at the uh, last two elections, black people have the ability. To make the op to choose what the option will be. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm wondering if you feel that he has matured in that way, and that it simply has not been amplified to the extent that it should be, should, and can be. And I'm interested in developing the intelligence of mm-hmm. black people around their political thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I'm with you, and Sister you, Jay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and I, I think that, you, that that's a contribution yeah. you make to his ca- campaign. Well, thanks. I, I will tell you this. Listen, institutional racism in this country needs to be eradicated. It didn't start with Senator Bernie Sanders, but at least he's standing up saying that as the next president of the United States of America, he would do everything in his power to eradicate that. He said that in 
in my hometown of Cleveland a few months ago before an audience of up about 10,000 folks, and most of those folks are white people. See, so it's easy for people to talk about racism and discrimination during Black History Month or MLK Day or in front of a majority audience of color, particularly African-American folks. But if you know somebody's true integrity when they can say those words in front of a majority white audience to say that institutional racism is not the problem for African-Americans. It's America's problem. It's white America's problem. It's all of our problem, and we got to solve it together. You know, I was with him in Iowa a few months ago as well when he did a criminal justice reform panel, and there were two ex-offenders standing right by our side. It was the senator, these two ex-offenders, and myself. And again, before a majority white audience, Senator Sanders affirmed that the justice system has been unjust to black and brown folks in this country, and we, collectively, we have to do something about it. So we're talking about a man, though, sis, who not a lot of people know his record. They don't know his street cred, that when he was in his 20s, and you know this, that he was at the University of Chicago. He was a member of CORE. He stood up against racism and segregation at the University of Chicago in their housing. He did that as a very young man. He didn't have to do it, but he had heart-soul agreement. He understood that none of us are free unless all of us. Are free. This is the type of man that we're talking about, somebody who has been consistently in the struggle, even when people did not know that he was fighting for us. You know, in the 70s, he's speaking out for our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers. You know, in the 80s, he's standing by the side of Reverend Jesse Jackson as he ran for president of these United States of America. And I encourage your listeners to go back and listen to his speech. What he was saying then, he's saying now that enough is enough, that millionaires and billionaires can't have it all that it's expensive to be poor, that we need to lift our voices collectively, that we got to help our black and brown sisters and brothers in this country, that our children deserve to be educated, our elders deserve to be taken care of. See, he has been consistent and honest. And so even though people did not know he was fighting for them, because he is a senator from Vermont where there are about 600,000 people and 95% of those folks are white, Senator Sanders cannot control those demographics, but he has been a freedom fighter all of his life. And so, you know, even uh, most folks don't even know, uh, Sister Graham, that he filibustered for eight and a half hours on the floor of the Senate against the extension of the Bush tax cuts. Because again, his heart and soul agreement is that why are we extending those tax cuts? when we got people suffering in this country, the most wealthiest country on the face of the earth. That is the kind of man he is from the core. So I encourage your listeners, they don't have to take my word for it. Go back, do some research on Senator Bernie Sanders. They will find him to be a man of integrity and authenticity and who will stand up for what's right. No matter what the polls have to say, he'll do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's this matter of, uh, Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. Um, well, so and was Dr. I, Martin Luther King, Sister Graham. Thank you. And so was Malcolm X, and so was Marcus right. Garvey, and so was W.E.B. Right. Du Bois in, in, in many ways. Uh, so, right. you know, if we are not, and, and for those of you who are listening, if we are not as black people analyzing who we are politically, then we can't understand the import of what it means to have a candidate who is a democratic socialist. Uh, Yes. And and look at FDR, too, Sister Graham. I mean, I I want folks to look at FDR, too. You know, when this country was on the brink, 
when we were that you know the Great Depression, and the types of programs that we created as a nation in terms of safety net, you know, social security, unemployment insurance, you know, looking out for our folks in this country. You know, some of the most popular programs, and and even um, economist Dr. or Robert Rice, you know, former Labor Secretary, said some of the most important and popular programs in this country right now to this day are social insurance programs. Mhm. Mhm. And 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 I think that we have to transpose that mm-hmm. uh in many in many ways into what we want rather than listening to you know one of the problems Nina and you know I had this problem is that uh you got the bone story and I got the D story. My grandmother always <laughs> told me to stop listening to them and start mm-hmm, listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So um, <laughs> we are, are listening. We are so media-driven in mm-hmm. the African-American community that we rely upon everything that we hear and everything right. that we read as gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, we dispel our responsibilities and obligations to mm-hmm. research. If right. we think that politics and government and who's in the White House is important, then before we cast a vote, we really need to do the proper research around what is my personal agenda, what is my community agenda. And we don't do that. And I think that uh, when when we we read about, when we read the attacks from people like uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates in the Atlantic and others who heavily, heavily criticize Bernie Sanders for not supporting reparations, we can't read that in isolation. Right. No, we cannot. And at least Mr. Coates, he did say that, that, you know, Senator Sanders is the person that he's going to vote for. Listen, yes, Senator Bernie Sanders, you know, the economic message that he is pushing, that poverty is expensive. You know, all of us have a lot to learn. And I know that the senator is committed to not only eradicating, you know, doing his part to help to eradicate institutional racism. He can't do it alone. One great president cannot do it alone. It's going to take all of us, the collective, all of us that have a, that have a consciousness to speak up against all the isms in this country that that kill and destroy people's spirits. He can't not do it alone. Yeah, But the whole fight for reparations, you know, Congressman Conyers has a bill that he's been introducing every single year to study this thing. And we need to start there minimally to study this thing because America wouldn't be America today without the labor and and the sweat and the blood and the tears of this African-American folks, that free labor that this country got for all those years. So this is real. And, and, and Sister Graham, I want to recommend a book to your listeners. It's called Black Democracy, and it was written by Dr. Eddie Gall, Jr. of Princeton. And he talks about the gap that we have, the value gap that we have in this country when it comes to black lives, that we're never going to solve the education gap, the economic gap, or any other gap until we recognize in this country and admit that we have a value gap. It is a powerful, powerful book. And again, it's called Black Democracy, and it was written by Professor Dr. Eddie Gall. And I have read portions of I do have the book, and I've read portions of it back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. And it really does, will provide us 
some foundation to understand why 69% of black Chicago voted for Hillary Clinton in mm-hmm. in the primary. It will mm-hmm. also help us to understand that there are institutional mechanisms which are making yeah. it difficult for progressive candidates, not only um, uh, uh, Senator Sanders, to have a broad appeal. One yeah. of them, and I want to ask you about it, is the black church, the black membership organizations, and, and the traditional black est- political establishment. I can't understand, and I'm just going to say this for without a clear analysis, and right before I came on this broadcast tonight, I was into a back and forth with Senator Bar- um, uh, uh, Representative Barbara Lee uh, mm-hmm. about the whole issue of the black congressional um, leadership endorsing Hillary Clinton before, mm-hmm. before, without any analysis. Talk to us about mm-hmm. these institutional mechanisms that's pushing back. And, 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 you know, and the other thing that I see, and, you know, I, I go across a whole landscape of political menanderings, and I see the radical black um, uh, activists, left activists, left radical left black, left radical black activists who are pushing back um, because everything is not checked off on the checklist, you know. And I love. I love the idea that yeah, you you have to have a checklist. But mm-hmm. even if I go in the grocery store with a grocery list, they might not have everything I've got, and I've got to do my recipes in a different way. I, I mm-hmm. so talk to us about that. I mean, listen, people have to make up their own minds, Sister Graham, and I'm not. You know, we we know that Senator Bernie Sanders is fighting against institutions. He's fighting against the status quo in the very same way that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King did, in the very same way that Daisy Bates did, in the very same way that Fannie Lou Hamer did. I mean, you name it. People who have been freedom fighters, Mother Teresa, Cesar Chavez, I mean, you name folks whose names we don't even know, who sacrificed, who fought against institutions and systems so that we could have freedom and justice you know, the senator tonight talked about the suffragettes, same thing. White, you know, women thrown in jail trying to fight to get the right to vote. If we look at any freedom struggle, it is of people who have a heart, soul, and a mind, and a commitment to say, you know what, I don't care what the status quo has to say. I'm going to fight for this thing. And so that's the same thing that Senator Bernie Sanders is doing right now. Um, African Americans are not homogeneous. Most groups are not homogeneous. So people have a right. But it goes back to the point that you were making, Sister Graham, that people need to research and not blindly follow folks. You know, do your research and understand. Do folks understand? My God, Senator Bernie Sanders is the leader for our time. And just look at the millennials. Those kids, you know, everywhere I've I've gone throughout this country, I've met even young folks who are not even old enough to vote for this man. They can't even vote, but they're out volunteering and door knocking and making phone calls. And when I ask them, why are you feeling the burn? 
they say to a person because he understands us, he believes in us, and he is fighting for a better future for everybody. That is what these young people are saying. And, you know, to have those types of criticisms that, you know, Senator Sanders is reaching too high, how can we in the United States of America say that any leader, any leader that you elect, you want them to have a vision beyond what is What's going on in your life right now You want them to see the impossible And say that it is possible If we unite If we did not believe in the impossible Black folks wouldn't be free today If we didn't believe in the impossible This country would have never gone to the moon If we didn't believe in the impossible Women wouldn't have the right to vote Our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers Wouldn't have the right to marry I mean you name any major movement For justice in this country It requires you to suspend your disbelief and believe for something bigger, or as I would like to say, what Congresswoman Barbara Jordan once said, what the people want is simple. They want an America as good as its promise, and that is indeed what Senator Bernie Sanders is fighting for. And he always talks about we. He never talks about, you know, not me, but we, and that is the kind of America that he's building or, 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 well, or he's fighting for, fighting for. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate I know you're on the campaign trail and you're being pressed for for your time <laughs> and and you have to go get the Easter service in the morning. But yes. I have two things that I, I, I want to talk to you about. Sure. Uh, uh and it it is troubling to people that I mm-hmm. talk talk to about the Sanders candidacy. One mm-hmm. of them has to do with um, a, a campaign that went on relative to uh, the incarceration rates, uh, five uh, top five rates of incarceration for black people in this country included mm-hmm. the state of Vermont, and there was a group of black civil rights people who tried to reach out to him, they claimed, and that he uh, allegedly has a poor record in his own state well, in addressing the issue of mass incarceration. The other question that I have is what, and, and it's, it's, it's an issue that is very troubling to me, what are his specific policies uh, to deal with the scourge of police brutality and mass incarceration mm-hmm. in this country? Well, thank you for those questions. Yes, I've heard of that group, and, you know, I don't have any personal knowledge of what they're talking about. I mean, I really find it hard to believe. But this is what I what I will tell you. Senator Bernie Sanders is the senator from Vermont. He's not the governor from Vermont. He didn't cause those rates, but he has been a constant champion, taken to the floor of the Congress and of the Senate to talk about what we need to do in this country, which is to fight against poverty and to stop locking poor people up in this country. He does have the strongest racial justice platform in of any candidate to deal with the five mm-hmm. violences against black and brown folks, political, physical, you're talking about physical, that's police brutality, legal, mm-hmm. economic, and environmental. So anybody can go to BernieSanders.com and pull up the senator's racial justice platform and he calls them the five violences against black and brown folks and again he can't do this alone it's going to take all of us and that is why he is talking about the political revolution that he wants to transform this country and it's not just about who's in the white house 
It's about who's in the governor's mansion. It's about who is serving in the, legis- in the state legislatures. It's, it's about who's serving as that school board member, who are our judges, who are our mayors, who are our council people and our township trustee folks. Senator Sanders is very clear about that, that he cannot do that by himself. He talks about the demilitarization of the police force. He said police forces should not look like uh, a military rolling through our communities. He talks about working to make sure that our police departments reflect the diversity of our community. He talks against police brutality. And he was a mayor, Sister Graham, and so he understands he had to have a working relationship with his police department. He understands that community policing is important and that we need to invest in the best practices and praise those law enforcement agencies in this country who are doing the right thing. And I understand this from a lived experience, having a husband that was a former police officer and a son who is currently a police officer. And I do know that most police officers go to work every day to protect and serve, but we have others who do not. And the senator has been very clear. He has not. He has been very clear on any police officer that breaks the law, like any public servant. They got the answer for that. And that black and brown folks are tired of, you know, not being respected in their own community. And that as Americans, we should be tired of unarmed black folks and brown folks being shot down. That is not the kind of world we should live in. That's not the kind of community we, we should have. We need the police, and the police need us. And so we got to work on building those bridges and those relationships that are necessary mm-hmm. to make this country just for everybody. So the senator does have a plan. He is open to hearing anybody else's suggestion. Again, he knows that he does not know it all. He cannot do it all. But he is a man who has heart-soul agreement. He has a record of true public service. He is honest. He is authentic. He is consistent. And he wants to serve this country. And I'm going to tell you, continue to serve this country, but he wants to serve as the President of the United States of America. And we're never going to get another time like this in a very long time and never have another leader like this. He didn't have to jump into this fight, but I am so glad that he did. And, Sister Graham, I just want to wish all of your listeners tonight um, those who are celebrating Easter, I know our Jewish brothers and sisters are ce- celebrating Passover, but I just want to wish uh, folks who do celebrate the resurrection a very ha- happy Easter, and that we reflect on what would Jesus do. You know, there's scripture in the Bible that says, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? When I was in prison and sick, did you come see me? Senator Bernie Sanders is really the personification of those things that Jesus Christ asked us to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just want, before you, you have to leave us, uh, I am just, I, I didn't get a chance to tell you this. I, I think I did, but I want to tell you this in public. When uh-huh. you decided that, I mean, you were the darling, the the darling of the Democratic National Committee, and you decided <laughs> to move over and instead of meeting the expectation that you would go with the Democratic National Committee established establishment candidate and you would support Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. I did the hallelujah dance. <laughs> it was so bold. It was so courageous. And I thought, if Nina is doing that, Something is ma- something magical is going on here, mm-hmm. and that's when mm-hmm. I started uh, paying attention. Of course, my I knew um, 
uh, Mayor Bernie Sanders during I was the Massachusetts coordinator for the uh, Rainbow Coalition for Jesse Jackson in '84, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. when I met him. Um, yeah. And our paths are uh, have not intersected since. But mm-hmm. he is also discussing the Justice is for Sale Act is not for sale act. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the first legislation to focus on eliminating the act of buying and selling people since the thir- 13th Amendment. Is he going to continue to support that uh, by engaging with the new abolition movement in this country? Oh, I'm, I'm sure that he is. And, and, you know, he talks about also, you know, uh, t- no, you know eradicating, doing away with uh, private prisons in this country. You know, as as well. So, and he doesn't believe uh-huh. in the death penalty. I mean, Senator Sanders is absolutely the real deal, and again, has lived his convictions all of his uh, beyond his public life. Uh, he is the kind of public servant that we need to lead us. Well, that's well. I'm I'm glad to hear that, and I'm hoping to find a place in which to engage more of conversation about what his specific agenda is and be able to present that. Now, what will be your role going forward? You are now the national spokesperson. I heard, I even read that you were the Bernie Sanders surrogate. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Well, I am. That's what I am. I'm a national surrogate for the senator. I will continue to travel this country both with the senator and sometimes separate from him, uh, preaching the gospel of Senator Sanders, which is, you know, universal health care for all of our sisters and brothers in this country, uh, making sure that our young people, you know, tuition-free colleges and universities, that we can make that kind of investment so that young people in this country do not have to walk across the stage with debt in one hand and a degree in the other, fighting to expand and protect Social Security so that our seasoned folks, our elders in this country, don't have to choose between paying their mortgage and buying a meal or buying a meal and paying uh, for their medicine. For him standing up to say that enough is enough, that people deserve to make a living wage in this country, $15 an hour. Uh, those are the kinds of things that Senator Sanders is fighting for, that he's standing for. And what he's saying to the American people is that you can dream big, that as a nation we build our Wall Street, so it's time for us to make the requisite investment in Main Street. And I don't think that's asking too much, Sister J. It is the kind of nation that we have been fighting for. It is what uh, the working poor and middle class in this country deserve. We have the resources to do this. And every time we invest in human capital, we make this nation a stronger, more wholer, more moral place. And so I'm gonna, I'm here to serve, and I'm going to keep on pushing for Senator Bernie Sanders. And we're going all the way to the convention. So people need to strap up because he's not going anywhere. He's had a wonderful night tonight. Um, in terms of the states that he has won, I think Washington and 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 Alaska. It's been a powerful, powerful night for Senator Bernie Sanders, and his message is really catching on. So we're going to yeah, keep we're going. not going to li- we're not we're not listening to the messages of the propaganda political propaganda no. machine that he can't he all. cannot do this. Nina Turner, right. thank you so very much. I know you have to spend time with your family. And to you, uh, a very happy Easter, and we respect you and your leadership, and we're looking for uh, you to continue in a major role 
in articulating the urgency of the matter. Thank you so much, uh, Nina Turner. Thanks for having me, and thank you for being a warrior in your own right. Thank you, Sister Graham. Well, I'm leaning on the three bones. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, the wishbone, the jawbone, and the backbone. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nina Turner. Um, We thank uh, Nina Turner for joining us. Uh, She really has been called upon to do yeoman's work. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls at 347-838-9852. This is our common ground. House is burning. It is on fire, and we are sounding the alarm. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And we thank you for being with us. Again, our number is 347-838-9852. We're going to go to our phones. Uh, In the second hour here... Hello. You have your your hand up. You're on there. Uh, good evening, Janice. It's Alpha of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network on leave. How you doing, Alpha? I'm doing great. I thought I would get a chance to talk to Miss Turner. Let me say this. She is without a doubt the greatest surrogate I have heard in the years, in the few years that I've been listening to the politics of candidates running. She articulates very well, and she has a finger on the pulse of what the people want. One thing I can can also say is that they missed the boat on is the, they missed the pushback boat when it comes to he's a socialist. And the only response, the most simple response to he's a socialist. Jesus was a socialist. We are part, we have a socialist system. That's the only pushback they needed for he's a socialist. The fact that Debbie Wasserman Schultz and and the DNC and the DCCC, they all have their thumbs on the scales for Hillary Clinton. When she told the tale of health care and where was he, then they come out with a picture and he's standing right behind her. You know, those are the types of things that will bring, will shed light onto the the willful disingenuous campaigning that she is doing. And let me say this, if she beats Bernie Sanders, I will vote for her. All of these people sitting around talking about what the Clintons have done. and They're right. They're absolutely right. But this is a matter of the lesser of two evils. If you're going to vote Green Party, you're going to throw your vote away. If you just can't bring yourself to vote for Hillary Clinton, then cross over and vote for Donald Trump. 
And that's the bottom line. We're talking about someone in the office to stop the right-wing, the fanatical right-wing agenda. And that's what we're talking about. She could very easily be no better than her husband, uh, a Dino, uh, uh, a blue dog, and one who will cut deals and cut uh, progressives out. But when you get right down to it, Bernie Sanders is the man who should have that job, and Bernie Sanders is the man that I am comfortable with. But if she wins, I have to support her because of what's on the other side. Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, there goes the Affordable Health, Affordable Care Act. You know, when you talk about anger, the people, Trump people, the the, the, the American people are angry. What in the hell are they angry about? They should be angry about the fact that Republicans have filibustered bills that would have given us at least the five million more jobs. But the Democrats haven't brought that to light. So well, one of the things about? also, and let's have a conversation about this, uh, that that is very disconcerting, is that uh, in making her case, Hillary Clinton is trying to tap into a strain of black political thought which is old and antiquated and and goes back to the early 20th century, which elevates race as the primary and shared concern of all black people regardless of their station in life. And in doing so, she's insinuating that class struggle does not matter, that the marginalized majority battered by poverty and mass incarceration and welfare reform, which she uh, led, trends presided over in significant part by, by her husband are expected to fall in line. And I personally resent that. Um, okay. So I, I, I think that we, I, I think that what we have to do is that, and that's what we're, uh, Mark, uh, Max Parthas of the New Abolitionist Movement is going to be joining me in the second hour, but we need to be able to ratch through what is it that these candidates are saying and what is their record. And everybody's record is not going to be perfect, but we've got many years of Hillary Clinton um, political activity, and we've got many years of, of of Bernie Sanders activity, and all of these people in the Democratic National Committee who are talking about Bernie hasn't been vetted. That is simply. But that's what I what mean. What do you call it? That's what that's bullshit. That's what I mean. When you allow these. That's right. Types of, it's leftover bullshit. These characterizations that go unchallenged. And when they say, well, how is he going to pay for it? Well, the response should have been, we're going to pay for it by finding that $8.5 trillion that's been missing from the Pentagon since 1996. We're going to pay for it by putting the fair share of tax burden on Wall Street who are making a mint, who are making our life 
bandits, like greedy bandits. And we're going to get it, we're going to find it by cutting the waste out of the Defense Department that has 27 cargo planes sitting in a boneyard in Arizona that have never taken to the sky that cost $1.6 billion. That's how we're going to pay for it. He's a, he's, and, you know, he's, he's gone under this cloud of he's a, a one-issue candidate, which is not true, which is not true. And there just seems to be they've fallen down when it comes to pushing back on the misrepresentation of this man and, his, yeah. and who he is and what he does. I I I I'm with you on on all points, Alpha. I've got to go to another caller, but thank you for your call. And we're looking for you to return on Friday night to Truth Words Network real soon. Uh, I, I, right, right now, I, I can't be on the that's, computer that's, because I got I got to be back here in the bed because of my back. Um, oh, now we now we're crying in the bed. Oh yeah. Yep. yep that's where I am. I'm not in your chat room. And you know I would be in your chat room. But uh, put me on mute, and uh, I'll continue to listen to the show. Okay. That was Alpha of the Alpha Show that for many years was heard on TruthWorks Network on Friday nights at 10 p.m., and we hope that he will be back. We're going to go to 305. You're on the air. Thank you for your call. Janice Grant, Pascal Robert, just calling in. Well, welcome, to your show. sir. How are you? That was a very excellent program. I appreciated hearing uh, uh, State Senator Nina Turner explain why she supported Sanders. And I agree with your prior caller that she sounds like a, uh, you know, probably one of the most enthusiastic uh, surrogates I've heard in a long time. She clearly believes his message. Uh, my only criticism of her of her position is that I would have liked to hear her give a more clear explanation as to what strategy the senator would have to maintain, increase, and further his outreach into the black community in the face of the difficulties he's he has uh, surmised in particularly states in the South and even in Chicago where you had 69% of the black voter turnout going out to Hillary. So I would have liked to hear what the uh, what the strategy was be, would be in the future to turn that around. Well, uh, one one of the things that, and I'd like to get your comment on it. I I do think that uh, Nina Turner is exceptional uh, in her role for articulating to the masses of the direction of this campaign. But I read something that was very disturbing this morning about the numbers and the organized way in which particularly black women are supporting Hillary. And right before I came on the air tonight, I was in conversation with uh, Barbara Lee out of California, and um, I was disturbed by this lack of analysis that people who are in the in the in the in the in in in, in leadership roles, and we might even call it the black leaders misleadership roles, are analyzing uh, the candidacy of Hillary Clinton, eliminating 
all of the areas and the history that have been so detrimental to black people in this country. Did you well, read this the, the, article that I'm talking about? It was, I'm very aware of the article. The article was at ABC News. They're talking about eight out of nine black women who are voting Democrat are voting for Hillary Clinton, and they use certain anecdotal information of members of churches and black women saying that she had experience with a with a you know an unfaithful husband and that, that they could identify it using all of these kind of anecdotes and quaint little stories to explain why they identified with Hillary Clinton. This is a, Hillary Clinton, by the way, is a woman who called their black children super predators, who, who shamed and humiliated black women as a, as a proxy for, for welfare reform, now, not to mention the, her co-signing mass incarceration that sent many of their brown black and black uh, brothers and sisters to, uh, to prison in mass numbers at the state and federal level. Uh, subprime deregulation that caused the greatest loss of black wealth probably in the modern history of this country. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 that pretty much gutted uh, uh, independent black radio in, in, in this country. Uh, you know, the, the, the sheer racist nature of Bill Clinton's 1992 campaign, which we talked about in your last time I was on your show, which leveraged white working class anxiety against the black community in the height of Jesse Jackson's uh, primary victories in 1988 to try to alienate black issues from the Democratic Party platform with the rise of the DLC. These were the Clintons. Let, let us think well, this was, and, and don't forget that in her, in her campaign speeches and presentations, as Derek Jackson wrote in the Boston Globe, uh, she's trying to distract from the fact that Wall Street investors and bankers played a huge role in discriminatory redlining, predatory lending, and foreclosures. And she, in my mind, is shamelessly counting on blacks for support while she engaged with the system that, that held back the aspirations of so many black people. Well, I mean, this is this is fundamentally. We have got to get into the grit of who these candidates are. Well, the, the reality is that this is fundamentally the a failure of our black political establishment, our black misleadership class, our all of the all of the. You talked to to uh, state senator, former state senator Nina, about the institutional mechanisms, the political mechanisms that we have in the black community, both formal and informal, that create a political echo chamber, that create allegiances to the status quo of the Democratic Party. And what, what are those institutions? We know one of, them, one of the biggest ones is the black church. Our membership organizations, the Urban League, the NAACP, our fraternities, our sororities, the links, Freemasonry, the, lodge, the lodges, uh, uh, 100 black men, all of these membership organizations, they all work at almost a kind of patronage relationship with the Democratic establishment. And they create a social echo chamber within the black community, particularly for people who have positions of prominence, so that your pastor, the person who runs the local community center, the principal of your public school, uh, the deacon at your church, uh, you know, all of these institutions that the people who are parts of those mechanisms 
are able to create an ideological echo chamber where they can just say a word and say, y'all, y'all know Hillary been, Hillary been down with us for a while. Come on now. Y'all remember the things, things were good. And that resonates in parts of the community who do not have the time to be as sophisticated, high-information voters. And the question we have to ask is that how do people who want to be critical students of, of, of black politics, who want to make our politics more robust and more effectively in, effective in addressing the needs of the black poor and working class, how do we shatter these mechanisms in, their, in the way they function? Do we, need, do we need to cut and burn them? Do we need a scorched earth tactic? Can they be reformed? Are they worth trying to reform? Are they so corrupted? Because these things are not new. You know, uh, E. Franklin Frazier in the Black Bourgeoisie, I put this up on Facebook, he was talking about this in 1957, how yeah. the black bourgeoisie has no real wealth of its own, and the black politician basically acts as a service to the black community by basically working under the as a servant of the of the larger white political machinery. Well, that's what know, we have today. Of, part of what has happened in the black elite political establishment is that everybody is looking to get rich quick and get a job, and we have got to shatter the idea that that's how. Those are the people that we follow. Hey, Pascal, I'm really glad to hear from you. I've got to go to another caller. But we're going to talk about this in the second hour. We hope that everyone will stay with us uh, in the second hour because I, I think that until we develop a more mature intelligence of looking at candidates, until we decide we're not going to let people, individuals who will benefit, tell us, take, depend on our vote for their individual benefit, that we have got to develop a way of analyzing, and we've got to get out and become activists. We've got to do phone banks. We've got to do door-to-door. And we don't do enough of that. Thanks, Pascal. And uh, I'm going to put you on mute and go to 646. You're on the air. You're on the air. Thank you for, for joining us tonight. Hey, hey, BJ, how are you today? Hey, Jay, good. How are you? Hey, listen, Brother Pascal always drops nothing but Jews when he talks about And what do these... I drop, Jay? Oh, oh, <laughs> Tell oh, me what BJ, I, I don't even have to say I don't even have to say what you drop You drop bombs You know what I mean? Just big bombs But you know, the thing is I, I, I didn't hear the total Presentation that um, Nina gave But I was wondering if you brought up To her in regards To why Bernie Sanders never went on black media in fashion that he should have, which I think would have definitely helped helped him a great deal in regards to moving himself into a better position of dealing with the Negro Pene. Now, I want to point something out to you, 
today that I saw on um, CNN that was extremely disturbing that your brethren just never get, and this is the reason why they support Hillary Clinton. Bakari, I think, Settlers was on, and he made the comment that Hillary Clinton did not give Barack Obama anything or ask for anything in return for her support of him. And let me say this. That is an absolute blatant lie. Barack Obama, before he got her backing and support, gave her a position in his cabinet and also paid off her debt. And that's a fact. And these are the type of things that these pundits or so-called strategists, the black ones, get on TV. But, you know, one of the things that I noticed they never talk about is the people that pay them don't pay them the same money that they pay the white ones. But they're so happy to be on TV spilling the nonsense and the fact that most of the black constituency isn't aware or clear on what's going on that they get away with this type of foolishness. So this is why we have what we have. It's all political uh, propaganda, and you and I both know that the reality is that the Clintons have always had a lockdown uh, on black media. Well, I would disagree with you in a sense that, yes, they do have a lockdown, but I think that there has to be a sense of fairness in play. And I think that he could have gone on the Tom Joyner show. I think he could have went on the other Coon shows. I think that um, Roland Martin was constantly asking and begging him to come on his show, and Bernie repeatedly turned him down. It's not like these Negroes give any hard-type questions to um, these candidates. But it's, it's just the fact that what's so disturbing, BJ, is that, like Brother Pascal was saying, these Negro Pean organizations, the NWSP and all the rest of them, they have no interest whatsoever for everyday people, black people. Yeah. They have no well, concern. We, that's because they have not been challenged. As you know, Jay, you, you're, uh, you're a uh, a regular listener on this program, that we have talked about the need for a reckoning, that we need to call people out. We need to call our churches out. I can't call out a church where I'm not a member. But if I'm educated and I want to agitate and I am a member, I can call out that church. I can do the kind of activism that's necessary to get people to be on on a page of reason and rational information, and well, we're not DJ, doing that. Hey, Jay, I got to go. I'm at the top of the hour, okay. but I, I hear you. you. And 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 you know, I'm trying to think of 
what black media we're talking about and to the extent that people are saying they can't get Bernie, uh, but they're not really trying. I because, hear you. Soon. Okay, and, and, you know, that's my take on that. We're at the top of the hour. It's 11.04 here at Our Common Ground. We're going to go into our second page right after this break. We hope that you will stay with us. Um, Yvette Carnell has just joined us. Um, and we're going to bring her in on the conversation on the other side. Um, our number is 347-838-9852, and this is Our Common Ground. Tuned into Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Grant, giving voice to the black truth of America. Our Common Ground, broadcasting free, bold, and black. Each Saturday, 10 p.m. I Declare Show, real, raw, right now, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., the I Declare Show, with India Declare, she brings it, real, raw, and right now. The home of real, raw, right now, talk media, and indeed, as we always say, I declare it. India Declare, real, raw, and right now. I Declare, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., Blog Talk Radio, the I Declare Show. Today, men in their 40s have a lot to celebrate. For most, it's the beginning of the best years of their lives, especially if they've had a benchmark test for possible early signs of prostate cancer. Because a simple blood test in your early 40s can mean fully enjoying the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. A prostate exam means staying alive. You walk around the community and you talk to people. Dropout rate in high school is enormously high. There are no supermarkets where people can buy fresh food. It's little, you know, shops where you get potato chips and liquor, a lot of liquor stores. There are no bank branches there. So if you want to cash your check, you go to a payday lender and you pay some exorbitant interest rates. In other words, you're living in a very depressed um, third world type community. Uh, and uh, needless to say, the incarceration rate for people in that community is extremely high. People get out of jail, they come back to that community, they go back to jail again. Uh, as a nation, there are many issues we don't talk about, we just don't talk about, push them under the rug, and poverty is one of those issues. Uh, we have 47 million people living in poverty. 36% of African-American children are living in poverty. We have more people in jail than any other country on earth, disproportionately Latino and African-American. These are issues that we're going to have to deal with, and we can deal with it. It doesn't take rocket science to know what we have to do. We have to invest in our kids. We have to invest in our communities. We have to create jobs. We have to make certain that kids are not dropping out of school and hanging out on street corners. 
But what I saw in Baltimore was distressing, and it tells me that we need strong urban policies in this country. Trillions of dollars coming from working families going to the top. And essentially what my campaign is about, if it's about anything, is to say we've got to bring that money back into the middle class and working families. We have to create jobs. We have to raise wages. We have to make public colleges and universities tuition-free so kids in that community who are studying hard understand that someday they will be able to go to college. But gets back to the first point. We need a very... tonight at Our Common Ground, where we broadcast brave, bold, and black. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Creating a truth sanctuary for black America, helping to achieve ourselves. I'll be listening for you. Talk that matters. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. And we're coming back here at the top of the hour in the second uh, page of Our Common Ground tonight. Um, And we are grateful to have you join us. Don't forget to join us at Facebook on OCG Talk and Twitter. You can find me at and follow me at Janice OCG. Uh, In the second hour... um, we need to be talking about what all this means. True that, Nina Turner uh, articulates in the most profound way uh, the agenda that has been set forth by the Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders as he makes his run for the White House. But do we have the agenda and a checklist and a maturity in our political intelligence that helps us stay out of the fray? Now, all of you who are regulars at Our Common Ground know that I don't do the gossip stuff. I don't talk about Trump making ass of himself all over the place, Ben Carson making a bigger ass of himself all over the place, the dangerous nature of what is happening in the political discourse in this country. Because at the end of the day, it is going to be about whether or not our community asserts its political empowerment. That is what it's going to be about. And one of the biggest issues in this country that faces us, that threatens our families, and our people for generations is mass incarceration and the notion of a continuing Jim Crow and struggle for our people. Many people continue to believe that racial disparities persist because African Americans are inferior or therefore deserving of their second-class status, And that view is racist, pure and simple. 
The more liberal perspective is that inequalities persist because of the legacy of slavery, and that's not particularly accurate either. Why? Because global race-based capitalism is not a system of the past with lingering effects. It is a system which is living, breathing in our present. White racism, part of our structure in 2016, as free markets, private property, the jury system, cable, TV, major legal, baseball. That's what you can read from all the madness that is going on. And one of the things that I'm going to recommend to you tonight is that you uh, check out the work of historian Gerald Horn, especially his most recent book, the Counter-Revolution of 1776. <clears throat> Excuse me. I can't, uh, I couldn't hit my, my cough button. But to join us in this, in directing this discussion is Max Parthas. He is my colleague, a radio host, um, returning to our common ground and the one of the premier leaders of the new abolitionist movement, which he talked about, we talked about when he was with us last. Max, thank you so much for joining us tonight. What do you think of uh, our discussion with um, Nina Turner? Peace, my sister, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to even share uh, the opinion of a person who considers themselves an abolitionist and uh, and not a reformist. I listened to it closely and I made some notes. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I appreciate her energy that she's providing, but there's not a lot of details going on uh, right now. And I know that Sanders has the capability to win this uh, election that's coming up, as you and I spoke before the uh, show came on air. But he's got to do certain things. And for some reason... These uh, areas that could cause a win seem to be uh, off limits, like nobody wants to touch them, like the direct relationship that the Clintons had with the Wackenhuts Corrections Corporations, which went public in 1994, and within four years, their stock had multiplied 10 times as a direct result of the uh, tough-on-crime laws that were being put out by the Clintons when they were calling our young black men uh, super predators who needed to be brought to heel and enacted these laws. Like it's, it's a level of corruption that is unbelievable. But again, I entered by saying I'm an abolitionist. So let me just clarify that in my mind and in many other people's minds, we're not dealing with individual systems like mass incarceration, institutional racism, police brutality, what we're dealing with is the resurrection of slavery, where people are being hunted in the streets, men, women, and children, and put into cages for no other purpose than to be stored on shelves for a profit, to create economic gains for particular communities. And this is predominantly affecting people of color to the point where, as your sister said, Vermont has issues. Well, Vermont has a 95% white population, a 1.2% black population, and yet 
African-Americans are being arrested and incarcerated in Vermont at a rate of 12 to 1. That's not even logically possible, and yet it's happening in every state in the Union. So we're looking at this as slavery, where these people's lives are being bought and sold on the open market in the form of prison stocks and jail bonds. And not only that, they're being forced to work in many states to create commercial goods that are being sold on the open market for pennies on the dollar. Well, one of the things that we we really have to break down and dismantle is our understanding of the relationship between mass, the prison industrial complex, and every aspect of of our lives. Um, I mean, the, the the school to prison pipeline is starting in. I just read a story about a six-year-old being put in handcuffs at an elementary school. I think it was in New Jersey. Um, and and it, it's really disconcerting when people don't understand the relationship of all of these things. For instance, I think that in a country that purports to be the greatest country power in the world, that we have payday lending and other kinds of financial predators that do so under law. And you know, you mentioned. Go ahead. You mentioned the youth, and the youth are uh, preyed on uh, much more so than the adults at this point. We found, and uh, through information provided by a variety of sources, including the Justice Policy Organization, that. Teenagers are incarcerated like Khalif Browder for as much as $350,000 per year per teenager. 350000 in New York where Khalif Browder eventually ended up committing suicide because he spent three years there unjustly. This is the profit margin that they're making on children, and that, I've called it bounties on our children's head, and I can't see it as anything else. Where I'm at in South Carolina, it's $161,000 a year to incarcerate one teenager for whatever crime he may commit in one of these mm-hmm. private facilities. Well, you know, I've been a proponent of uh, public boarding schools for children who don't have the kind of family support that they need in order to become educated and to become ready for taking on their responsibilities and obligations as an adult. But nobody wants to talk about that. And if you talk about 161 or $116,000 a year for a teenager to be incarcerated and you match that to the cost of doing the right thing, <coughs> right. excuse me. If we were spending that money on education. If we were spending exactly. that money, just that one year for one teenager, and one of these communities would put a teen center there for the next 10 years, would provide some kind of summer program for children to be involved in, could even possibly build a community school or something like that, just that one year's worth of incarceration. This is the type of funds that these private and federal and state prisons are receiving on our backs, on our children's and our wives' and mothers' backs. It's outrageous. And many people right now are speaking of reform, like Brother Buster, uh, uh, Buster Ryan recently said that he's dedicating his life to prison reform. But most of those people have never even thought of abolition. 
It, it literally has never crossed their mind. Reform is the only argument being presented by any political candidates. Bernie Sanders appealed to us as abolitionists because he was the first candidate to present legislation, not think about it or say I'm going to do it, but actually present legislation that focused on the buying and selling of human beings since the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment. We thought that that was the right thing to do with his Justice is Not for Sale Act of 2015. Unfortunately, Bernie Sanders hasn't embraced uh, that legislation, nor have I ever heard him mention it again. Uh, just you today with his manager, it was the first time I've heard anybody from his camp really talk about it. Talk and that kind of made us feel some kind of way as new abolitionists, like you were just throwing us a bone or something like that. We believe, and I think we speak for a lot of America, that we recognize this as slavery. And if Bernie Sanders was to embrace abolition, that alone would give him a lot of support from minority communities. Because unlike the political candidates, we call it what it is. Mm. I, I, I think that I, I like the idea that he rejected uh, President Obama's nominee nomination and said that if he were elected, he would choose his – he would – disregard that nomination and make his own nomination. But let's let's talk about the private privatization of prisons in this country, Max, because I think that there are regulations that everything is based in the law. And if we had candidates, politicians who were willing to dismantle that in the way that Bernie Sanders says that he wants to get rid of private prisons altogether. But then we've got black people who are not making, connecting the dots to the other candidates who, one, are not talking about it. And Hillary Clinton has a very clear record of support from the prison industrial complex. Yes, just recently, until recently, she was taking money from the prison, uh, private prisons. She had a relationship with both CCA and with the GO group. Um, and the only reason she stopped is because of pressure from groups like the Black Lives Matter group that uh, confronted her about her relationship with private prisons publicly. So uh, from 1994 or earlier until just a few months ago, she was taking money from private prisons. Yes, just a few months ago. So, Max, in terms of uh, mass incarceration and the continuing legacy of slave-like, slave, uh, why don't I just say it? Just call slavery. it slavery. <laughs> yes. yes. What should black people be thinking about? What should be on their checklist uh, well, in regard to looking at these 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 candidates and and you know and I admit that there are black people uh, besides Diamond and Silk who are supporting Donald Trump. There are black people who are supporting Ted Cruz, even though the love boat just turned into a cruise ship or it was a new. I I don't know if it was a cruise missile event or not, and we'll we'll see more about that. What what do you think ought to be? the points of analysis and critical thinking that black people have to have in order to address 
mass incarceration, and continuing practices of slavery in this country? The most important thing that I've found that people can do is to simply change their mind and stop with this. Uh, again, like you're talking about it right now, saying mass incarceration. How about we just say slavery? Because that's what's happening. There's buying and selling human beings on the open market. They're working them in factories that are built in the prisons. They're having them fight fires at $2 a day, including juveniles out in California. And when confronted with this information, their answer is we cannot stop using this labor because it would cost us nearly a billion in salaries a year. So that tells you what they're doing right there. So our first thing is to change our mind about what it is we're dealing with. If you can't do that, you're just going to keep asking the same old questions to get the same old answers. I propose that you ask new questions. New questions will bring new answers. And the new question that you should start with is, is this slavery? Period. Just ask yourself, is it slavery? And if you come to the conclusion, like many others across America have come to, that it is legalized slavery uh, allowed through our Constitution by the 13th Amendment exception clause, which allows for prisoners, and then practiced openly by private for-profit prisons and by federal and state prisons, then you start doing different things. You start addressing this in different ways. You start acting like it's slavery. Right now, we're acting like this was a mistaken policy, like nobody knew what they were doing back in 1994, and they didn't think that far ahead about how this would end up. They knew exactly what they were going to do. And if you don't, right now, Bernie Sanders, as she said, may be our only chance at this point. He may be. And if we don't do something about that right now, this is what I, I propose our future is going to look like under either a Clinton or a Trump presidency. Under a Clinton presidency, we've already seen via the President Obama and his administration who said they intend to reduce the prison population by 60,000 over the course of 10 years. That's a ridiculous, minuscule number in comparison to what should be done. In the course of the next 10 years, 130 million people will go through the jails alone, just the jails. So 60,000 is nothing. So that means Clinton is going to carry that on, and you're going to see more prisons and a larger prison population. Now, should it be Trump, on the other hand, it's going to be a violent transition. You might even see things where they have concentration camps, again, like they had with the Japanese, because he's just that blatant with his. So at this point, we only have one person, it seems, who is compassionate enough to look at this and say it needs to end. Unfortunately, he doesn't really present a solid way of making it end. He said, quote, unquote, that by the end of his term, we will no longer be, no longer have the largest prison population on earth. Well, to do that, you have to get below 1.6 million people in prisons, which is what China has. And in order to get to that number, you have to release almost a million people. And that really should be the goal. But how do you intend to release a million people in four short years unless you simply just sign some legislation and open some doors? Well, it so, would seem to me that then it would be our responsibility as 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 citizens and as voters to press on the issue of how of a plan. And you are right, I have not seen any of these candidates with any kind of plan to address 
what the what what I call the new peonage and um, the uh, prison industrial complex at all. I, I just haven't seen the plan. And we have the ability, you know, one of the things, Max, that's really disturbing in all of this is it's all, we're paying attention to everything but, in the media, everything but the message that black people have the ability to make this decision. We have the ability to bring whoever we want. Yes. Into the White House. That's our plan, but, too, as abolitionists. We're working on it right now. Uh, we have several candidates running as abolitionists this season for both Congress and Senator. It's historical processes are occurring. So we're preparing for 2020 on an abolitionist platform. We're not playing this game anymore of reform. We want this to end, and there are people in the wings making that happen right now. So we'll have an abolitionist candidate come what may. If we survive, we may not survive as a people. And that's the, just the blatant truth. We may not, under a Trump presidency or a Clinton presidency, even survive the 2020. Well, you know, there are people out there listening to you and saying, what do you mean we're not going to survive? These are both warmongers, like literally, and we're in a nuclear world. It doesn't take a whole lot to go from point one, to, uh, from stage one to stage five, really. It's, we've been... What is the nuclear clock set at right now? Three minutes to midnight? Right. I mean, well, those things are serious. Things, one of the questions that I didn't get to with Nina uh, is the idea that uh, while Bernie Sanders is calling for an anti-war, is calling on an anti-war platform uh, uh, and and has a domestic um agenda he hasn't really talked about what happens when we on the bo- on the water on the water's edge as Pascal um Robert would say that what happens in our foreign and international military uh, military um um strategies uh and we haven't heard from him on that but we do know that Hillary Clinton is a hawk. We do know that Donald Trump is insane. And that Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz is like two inches uh, from that. So... How do we begin, and I'm going to ask uh, Pascal Robert to come in uh, on 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 this and Yvette Carnell of BreakingGround.com. Oh, I'm Ground. looking forward com. to hearing from Sister Yvette. I'm an admirer of her work. Yvette, thank you for joining us. Thank um, you. How, how do we force these people to some plans that we can believe in? Because well, we believed in hope I, the last time. I, I think Pascal kind of alluded to something when he spoke about the fact that we don't really have any institutional mechanisms to make that happen. What we have are, are certain black misleadership functionaries that exist in the Congressional Black Caucus, that exist in the pulpit, that exist at the head, at the head of these sororities and fraternities. 
that exists as business people in D.C., as, as, as lobbyists, and they come on to CNN and they come to neighborhoods and they say, you know, you know, Hillary's our girl. We know Hillary. You know, we should be there. We should we should we should have her back this time and, and have and give Barack Obama a third term. So I think I think in order for, for anything like that to happen, you have to have some sort of mechanism. And that's why when you talk about when you talk about black media, I would really like to see someone like Bernie Sanders support alternative black media. I would like to hear him on your show. I would like to have him. I would like to interview him. I would like to. I would like to see him. You know, have a conversation with the people at Black Agenda Report. I think. I think that's how you circumvent this sort of pro-Hillary cabal that we have going on. We have. We have people in black media. We have people in the. the you know, these black misleadership functionaries, all kind of you know, surrounding her and insulating her from any type of 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 of, of real criticism. Well, I agree with you I, on I, that. So. Here, here is the deal, folks who are listening to this show. If you believe, if you can accept that that is one of the solutions, then you need to be writing to Nina Turner, you need to be writing to Bernie Sanders, and you need to be writing to Jeff, I can't remember the campaign manager's name, but you need to be going on to BernieSanders.com and making sure that he hears that. Right. We have uh, blacktalkradionetwork.com, which is an all-black uh, media outlet with unfiltered black voices, and we'd love to have him on there just as well uh, to speak. Well, I invited I... Bernie Sanders five years ago on this show um, because I, I knew, I saw him, identified him as a political progressive. And um, they made the decision not to come on the show. And my pitch was, black people need to know who you are. Black people need to be aware that you are sometimes standing in the Senate all by yourself on issues that are important to black people. And they didn't do it. So now now they figured it out. Pascal, are you still there? I'm right here. Yes, I am. What's your prescription? Uh, first of all, I want to commend the gentleman for his uh, abolitionist movement. I think that is the way to go. The concept of ab- abolishing prisons, which is very radical to many people, I think is something that we have to understand that prisons and incarceration is a function of capitalism. And the fact that he's trying to move people to abolish that institution completely, I think he should be commended for that. And I think that we should really move our politics in a direction where we speak in those terms. When we're talking about abolishing this this system completely, which is really kind of a form of slavery. In terms of Sanders, uh, uh, I, I, my concern to the question I ask is that the main reason why I'm not completely enthusiastic with Bernie Sanders is that he has not demonstrated to me that he is willing to distinguish his foreign policy from the traditional imperialist trajectory that most mainstream politicians have done in this country vis-a-vis drone policy, vis-a-vis dealing with the Russians, vis-a-vis dealing with the Middle East. And that is a bit of a concern for me because, you know, I, even though I may agree with his domestic policy, uh, I'd like to know exactly how he plans to carry out, if he were to become president, dealing with the very, very, very difficult international trajectory we have right now in the United States in the foreign policy realm. I do not believe he would be as bad or as much of a hawk 
as Hillary Clinton by any stretch of the imagination, but still yet he has not, Bernie Sanders is not running as a peace anti-war candidate at all. That's a, let's make that clear. He is not running on that platform. So I find that someone who is speaking about being a democratic socialist and being so progressive or radical on these issues to still be willing to, uh, you know, basically be the front man for American empire. That's, that is somewhat problematic for me. Well, I think that every president is going to always be that um, uh, globally. But well, the, that's true, but, but that doesn't I mean I can lend my, 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 particular, my particular political and racial credence to those crimes as an individual. I'm not saying everyone needs to agree with my political attitude on that issue. I don't expect everyone to. But in terms of me as a person, and I'm not saying I necessarily would completely discard Bernie Sanders, but I would like I, – I, I need – those are questions I think that need to be asked. I, I I think that Sanders should be put to the carpet in terms of well, what exactly is your foreign policy agenda? How exactly uh what what is your world of view in terms of where America is on the global stage? When do, uh, do what is what is the Sanders doctrine when it comes to military intervention? What is the Sanders doctrine? I mean, Sanders supports drone strikes. I'm not a fan of drone strikes. I think drone strikes are a very cowardice way to conduct military enterprises. They kill a lot of children, a lot of civilians. You know, Sanders is a big, uh, you know, in his state, they they a lot of the job growth is a result of the military-industrial complex. Is the Sanders New Deal based on basically creating military jobs, contracting out and expanding the military-industrial complex, which is basically creating a, a employment mechanism by building uh, missiles, bombs, and weapons? I mean, I think these are questions that are worth asking. And, you know, I, I, you know there are members of not only the black community but, but the, the voting populace that are concerned about foreign policy. And I think that in a time right now, we have President Barack Obama who's about to sign a $1 trillion nuclear deal. This is a fact a lot of people are not talking about, that our black president is expanding the American nuclear arsenal more than any president in modern history. We have global conflagrations in the Middle East, in Syria, in Libya, all over the world. We have China in the South China Sea, who, you know, dealing with its own kind of aggressions. Are, are we on the verge of a World War Three scenario? What is going on? Because, you know, we all have people who have kids or young people who may have families that might be dying overseas, depending on well, who's president. You know, and, well. in, in facing, I, thought, I think all of those are legitimate and urgent questions. But we are facing, as, as you pointed out earlier, Pascal, um, we're facing a political landscape with no me- mechanism and no strategy as a, as a community. Just a bunch uh, of sound bites is what we're getting. Yes. People and, are giving us sound bites. And the other part of it is that we keep propping up people who think and believe that we believe everything that they say, like these clowns in the black caucus, um, and 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 we and 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 if you look at who is really running this country, is these GOP governors and these GOP uh, the the House 
and the people that support them. I mean, nobody is challenging um, a, a Hillary Clinton on the idea that she is a darling of Wall Street and the prison industrial complex. And, and to nobody be fair, is I think challenging something else we have to say. What? Not only is she a darling of Wall Street. And the prison industrial complex means that she actually, up until recently, as the gentleman said earlier, was she had major bundlers that were private prison companies. A bundler is someone that is your major fundraiser. That means that this woman had fundraisers that were private, private prison corporations up until the time that she was challenged. But if we're going to be fair and call Sanders to the floor about foreign policy, let's be fair. There is no one, and I include Donald Trump in that, to me, that is more of a threat to any sense of global peace that is running for president than Hillary Clinton right now. This woman is literally a danger to not only American citizens but to the globe in terms of the way that she carried out her enterprise when she was Secretary of State in basically destroying the Gaddafi regime and neutralizing the most pan-Africanist president of the African country continent, creating a platform for ISIS, uh, trying to have President Obama go into Syria to, to expand America's footprint. Uh, she is a fan of regime change. Where has regime change gotten us? Look what we have to have. Well, we did regime change of Saddam. We did regime change of Gaddafi. Now you want to do regime change of Assad in Syria. These things end up becoming nothing but vacuums for terror cells. You know, you know she is, a, she is the, the, the most Zionist of Zionists. Her speeches at APAC was absurd in terms of how much she was willing to kowtow to Israel. So, I mean, to be honest, yes, I have issues with Bernie Sanders on foreign policy, but Ms. Hillary Clinton, this woman, is apocalyptic in terms of the, the, the future she paints if she was to be given the reins of power in this country. So if anyone has any thoughts, I'd like to hear what they have to say about that. Let, 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 let I mean, me, uh, go ahead, Yvette. No, it's pretty clear for me. The the question for me, I, I have I have issues with Sanders foreign policy, but the question for me is who is most likely to take us into World War Three, and that person is not Bernie. So I, I don't. So that's just kind of where I land there in terms of the options that that are available to me. But the gentleman, the gentleman said something that was that was very very Max important Martha. a little bit early. Max said something that was very important very early. He said that you know Hillary Clinton says you know at the end of as you know we will we will not we will not be incarcerating the most people in the world and that means you know basically freeing an enormous amount of prisoners. Now people want to talk people want to talk about that in terms of what that means and and how can you let them out. But there's another aspect to this as well. The question becomes what do you do with these prisoners because now that they're out they're they're impacting the unemployment level. So, so hey, Yvette, yes. if I might just put in your mind, think of the 1800s when this very same question was being asked. Exactly, but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now you have people that have to be accountable for that. You have governors, you have mayors who are saying the employment, unemployment level is going down. We have, you know, we, have, we, we don't have the, the, the highest unemployment in the, in the state or in the city or in the country or whatever. What happens when you have these, these enormous numbers of, of unemployed people who aren't going to get employed? Because we all know that mm-hmm. having high numbers of unemployment is good for capitalism. That's good for global capitalism. It isn't good for people. And so what has happened with the prison industrial complex is that you have, a, you have, basically, you have basically built an industry of black men failing. You have well, this is 
Duke giving jobs. There, there is also. So how do you tear that down? I'd like, to, I'd like to interject, interject real quickly is that one of the things when we talk about mass incarceration, and this is something that I've worked on personally, I've worked with ex-convicts, I've done this, this is something I do regularly, we never talk about ex-convict rehabilitation. That needs no. to be part of the agenda of fighting mass yeah. incarceration. I would actually argue that's the most important part is ex-convict rehabilitation. How do we make these brothers and sisters and rehabilitate them where they can be functioning in a society that is trying to stop them from functioning? Well, that's, that's kind well, of a, one... an easy question. There's two things that Go we ahead. should be having as a priority, if I might just interject for a moment. First of all, um, if you believe that this is slavery, and as he said, we have the largest prison population in the history of the world, and at least a million people need to get freed, then that alone should be the priority right there. Outside of everything else, freedom first for people who are unjustly in prison. I read and, and report on this every week of tens of thousands of innocent people being railroaded in their prisons through acts like was done in your town in, in Massachusetts with Andy Dukin, for instance. And she's just mm-hmm. one of 14 states that have the same incentive. So we've literally reported on hundreds of thousands of innocent people, and the Justice Department agrees with us. They've even put yeah, a report on it saying that this and is that happening. For those of you who are listening, this was a woman who was a member of the state pathology department that worked with the state police to test DNA. And she falsified thousands. And you know, they get paid paid by convictions in those offices. Yes, and they do get paid uh, convictions, but it also feeds the fed the the private prison in uh in industry in Massachusetts. So right. and and her plea her plea bargain she's going to spend 7 years in prison but her plea bargain did nothing to address what the commonwealth was going to do to uh, to to rehabilitate those men and they were predominantly black men who went to prison mm-hmm. as a result and, of the, the, these false tests. But and they were here, saying there were up to thousands of people that were affected right. by this. As many as 60,000 and upwards of 8,000 men were either jailed or incarcerated for those false falsifications of drug and alcohol reports. Exactly. But here, here is one prong of the solution, because I think we do have to get to solutions. In those state prisons where we are we have um trained people prisoners to do manufacturing and work for private corporations we need to promulgate legislation which would force those companies to hire them as full-time employees doing the work that they did that's one way. That's one part of the solution. The other part of the solution, as I see it, is to turn some of these prisons into major educational centers, one being educational rehab and the other being educational advancement. 
Well, that would have been uh, great if the, if Bill Clinton didn't remove Pell Grants from being able to be used by prisoners incarcerated to pay for college. But one good well, thing Obama did is he, he recently reinstated that. Yeah, and, and now we have the ability to do it, and we have the physical <coughs> infrastructure in which to make it work. The other is that we need to, once we can, if we can transform these physical prison locations, because you're talking about vast land in most, especially uh, federal and state prisons. Once we do that, then we can begin to talk about housing, social service, and social rehabilitation. Because how about we how about we end slavery and then work on the rest? Because that, that that doesn't seem to be a priority. We need to end slavery. Slavery is legal in America. It's being practiced right now on our children. They're being sold on the open market. How can that not be the number one thing to do? To end slavery, to stop this from occurring. We don't not only we want a million people out plus, but we don't want to go back again. And when you release those million people, that's letting forty billion dollars in economic resources become available. What do you think we could do with forty billion dollars and a million freed people? We could start reconstruction jobs to give them jobs where we can rebuild our infrastructure here in the United States. And God forbid we bring some manufacturing back and stop competing with third world countries who are uh, have a labor force working at 10 cents an hour, that's all slavery. we got to end that. we got to not deal with people who use slavery. And that alone will change the future of this country. But here, here's, here, is the, here, here are the, those are the public policy initiatives that we need to be driving uh, these candidates to talk about. And we well, I are think, not. Well, I think this I, 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 I'd like to say is, for some people who find what this brother's talking about being rather uh, radical or impractical, I applaud him. I, I think prison abolition should be the agenda. But when I say prison abolition should be the agenda, what is the primary social factor that leads to incarceration? It's poverty. Well, I, I'm not just talking about prison abolition. I'm talking about slavery abolition, and that well, includes prisons. They also have these private probation companies. They have uh, the private monitoring services. These people have their, their hands in all kinds of different systems that are oppressing us. Just recently, they had a story where the cops came to a high school to search all the lockers and brought the private prison with them. Well, I, I agree with you. I agree 100%. With that we, we really have to put in a mechanism um, that addresses this in a way that people understand it. Because don't forget that during the height of the incarceration of black men for low-level, nonviolent uh, offenses, most of black America was applauding this, this crap. Yes, they was. That's Say, right. Saying, saying, oh yeah, they need to, you know, they need to call the police and put them in, in, in jail, them, them young uh, busters out on the street corner. And but, 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 but that, and that's because we don't understand that this is a foundational issue. We don't understand that these these, these issues sprout up from poverty. You know, poverty, you know, that's it. 
black kids don't 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 aren't born out of the womb wanting to fight and wanting to and wanting to be a part of gang. You don't want to risk your life when you have something to risk. You risk it when right. you don't have anything, when you have nothing. And then you say, What does it matter? I'm gonna eat and I'm gonna get mine and if I die doing if I go to jail, so what? My life doesn't matter anyway. So, you know, when you're impacted, but when you're in that fight, when you're in that neighborhood, it's really hard to see the foundational issues that, that, that are there. And then you have people. You have people like the Clintons, you have people at the C B C and you have your leaders telling you, Well, you, we ought to gotta lock them up. We gotta get tough. You know what I mean? And so what do you do? So my issue is not is is not you know, is not mostly with the people who, who kind of you know, I, my heart goes out to them because, you know, you're living in a community where bullets fly past your head. It's kind of hard to really understand the foundational issues. My, 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 my main grievance is with the people who kind of cheered them on and kind of, you know, and kind of paved the way for this to happen and kind of encouraged them as just, yeah, this is the solution that we should go for, as, as opposed to making sure that you people have capital, making sure that black people have capital, because people who have capital usually don't go around killing each other. If people are interested in a good book talking about the history of uh, members of the black community colluding with uh, mass incarceration, Michael Forden has a book called The Black Silent Majority that basically talks about how members of the black community were fully embracing of Nixon's war on drugs and starting mass incarceration during the Nixon administration with the passing of the Rockefeller drug laws and all of those laws, which were the gate, were the the beginning of the generate the gateway of opening uh, mass incarceration in this country. It's a very very telling history of how uh, middle class black people basically uh, got on the bandwagon to lock their poor brethren up. Like my brother well, Scotty Reed, co-host says that this isn't really about race any longer. It's about justice. Do you want justice or not? You got to pick one of those sides. That's a that's a that's a very good point, and I think that going back to Pascal uh, pa- Pascal's earlier uh, comment is that we have to have mechanisms in which to educate and organize, and we've got churches, we've got black organizations that need to come to a reckoning about what they are doing and and and, and what they versus what they are not doing. Well, Janice, this is a question. How do we create mechanisms to politically educate the majority of black people, and the majority of black people are working class, working people, working class and some poor, when every institution that we have in the black community is literally surrendered itself to be at the beck and call of the democratic establishment? I feel some kind of way hearing that. I feel some kind of way. You know, I've been working on with BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com for the past five years, a new abolitionist radio. And let me tell you something. In 2012, there was no criminal justice speech uh, in the State of the Union address. People weren't talking about this like that. We pushed this out in a way that hit all across this country, and now it is on the top of everybody's list of things to talk about. So we've got mechanisms. Those mechanisms need further support. We've been putting this narrative out there. Now people are well-educated. Uh, compared to what they were in 2012. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good that's example. Certainly, a good, um, um, a, a fine topic for us to be talking uh, on independent and looking at these, these, the independent, the capacity 
that independent media uh, has. Max Parthas, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, it certainly gives us a lot of ideas about what we need to do in further educating. I am a big proponent of community and neighborhood um, education academies, black academies. It worked for the Black Panther Party. I think it can work for us now. Yvette Carnell, thank you for your call in. And Pascal Robert, thank you so much. And I certainly want to thank Alpha for his call and Jay. Uh, We're going to be here next week uh, at the same time, and I think that we will certainly um, hold on to what we've talked about in the second hour because if we don't have the mechanism, if we don't, no matter what plan we have, no matter what agenda we have, it's not going to matter. It's simply not going to matter. Uh, I'm hoping that people begin to see that there is a great deal of propaganda out there. There's a great deal of masking of the issues and that we get in there and we just really start fighting and struggling around how we push, how we develop and how we push an agenda. Max Parthas, thanks so much. Um, Sister Janice. And give give your uh, website address. Uh, may I say a 10-second poem by uh, Langston Hughes? Certainly. That would be a Negro. great closing. Indeed. You can find us at MaximumImpactPoetry.com and BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Negroes, sweet and docile, meek, humble, and kind. Beware the day they change their mind. Wind in the cotton fields, gentle breeze. Beware the hour it uproots trees. Peace. Peace. Thank you. Y'all got it. You know, there are some of us who just don't have the excuse of I didn't know. And I hope that those of you who... Know, and you know that you know that you will pass it on. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We have our weekly news roundup, Scribbling Race on Common Ground, and we are at Scoop It and Tumblr and our website, OurCommonGround.com. You can also email us at OCGinfo at Our Common Ground. Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll see you next week. heavy in every single way. It does not make sense. It cries out for somebody to stand up and say, I will go. But when I asked my grandmother, what does it take to be successful in this thing called life? She said, my dear granddaughter, all you need are the three bones. She said, the wishbone will keep you hoping and praying because hope, 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 hope is the motivator, but the dream is the driver. Jawbone, however, will give you courage to speak truth 
to power. Backbone will keep us standing through all of our trials and our tribulations. We will go through some stuff in this life, but we cannot have a testimony without a test. Our Common Ground. Thank you for joining us. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Graham, and next Saturday, 10 p.m., I'll be listening for you.